I'm not sure every employee understands how they make other people's days, where each role provides value to other roles. So if you understand not just in a work way, but also in the interpersonal, the human way, how does each role make other roles as day? In other words, bring value. I don't know that, that that's super clear at every organization. Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. Today's episode features another inside look at the NCG Book Club. April's book of the month was Fish, a proven way to boost morale and improve results by Stephen C. London. And while it might have been the shortest book in length so far, its message is far-reaching, filled with timeless wisdom that will resonate with anyone, whether it be personally or professionally. It's a story of flailing corporate culture meets the wildly engaging Pike Place fish market in Seattle, Washington. The fishmongers have a keen perspective and four simple rules. Play, make their day, be there, choose your attitude. And what we learn is that the fish philosophy has transformative impact when applied in any work environment from increasing engagement to strengthening teamwork and trust to so much more. As with any good book club discussion, we break down the philosophy, asking the questions and conversing on its messaging and impact as it relates to us as both a company as a whole and the individuals that make up our team. Are you ready to bring fish into the workplace and do as the fishmongers do? Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. So um, we're here this morning to uh, discuss a book that all of us at Nolan Consulting Group are reading. It's called Fish, a proven way to boost morale and improve results by Stephen C. London, along with a couple other authors, uh, Harry Paul and John Christensen. Um, So I wanted to start by saying it was a short and easy read, and the book has been around since the year 2000. So um, with a number of revisions, obviously, for Uh, mentions of technology as well as storyline. So the main story is fictional and um, it was designed to illustrate these four practices in action. Choose your attitude, play, make their day and be present. Um, All of this is to increase morale, energy and improve results in the workplace as well as personally. It was really interesting actually reviewing everybody's uh, takeaways that you submitted prior to this um, because uh, most of you had either questions for the group or or observations for yourself mostly or or for uh, the organization. So um, I wanted to kind of launch into it with uh, talking about each of those principles uh, and uh, get... uh, get more insight from, um, from the group. So um, Colin, um, you actually mentioned uh, in Choose Your Attitude, your big question was, how do we get this across to people? Um, and I wanted to even add on to that. Um, without it being interpreted as fake it till you make it, or mm. it's your fault that you don't feel this way. Um, so 
one, Colin, can you just talk about Choose Your Attitude and kind of how it came across in the book? And then maybe we can launch into those questions. Well, my, my first takeaway was to never move to Seattle with your spouse. <laughs> um, that, was a, that was a bit of a downer to start the book off, I will say. Um, however, uh, yeah, the, so the Choose Your Attitude one, I found it interesting because as, as business owners, people who work in small business, I think we obviously, you know, it's the old adage, when you're in a small ship, you can change course easier. Um, we, we can affect our companies more. We can affect our environment more than someone who works at a big company. Um, I, I just picture someone in a, in a large corporate company, like, like a lot of my, my, my friends are, right? That I graduated school with, that they work for these large companies and the whole choose your attitude thing can, can sometimes come across as like your boss being like, just be happy here, right? Like I, I, like, I don't have to change. You have to change. You, you, you have to change your attitude here. I don't need to change what I do, right? So I, I hear that, that and I obviously, like I said, start this point off, I understand um, kind of why it's a principle and I understand the power of it. But to me, like for, for maybe so some people on our teams who have been working at our companies for six months to a year who feel like they're a small fish in a, in a bigger company, how do we communicate that point to people without them thinking, well, that's, that's, just, that's just you wanting to get the most out of me? Right. That was an interesting point. Does anyone else have anything on the choose your attitude? I can honestly say that um, I read a lot of feedback on this particular one, and it was much, much like that, where if someone isn't in power, the choose your attitude definitely felt like somebody's telling you how to feel. Um, People feel powerless sometimes. Yeah. And, and so I find that it's also, it can be applied not just to a bad attitude, but it can be applied to anxiety. Mm. It can be applied to, you know, I remember working for borders and I was a manager and I'd be out on the floor running around, but all of a sudden they would need help at the register and I would jump in and be wrapping presents. And I'm like, well, I could say there are a hundred more important things for me to do, but is the most important thing right now to support the team and move people out of the store or, and how am I handling that? Am I being, you know, anxious and wanting to run away or am I in the moment helping knowing that this is going to be the best for everyone else around me? Brian, you had your hand up. Yeah. Just to give some input on what, Colin just said, uh, it's a great point, Kyle. Um, it, it makes me think about what can we as leaders do to help our people? Um, so, so it's kind of like servant leadership. If we see someone's got a bad attitude or someone's down, it's, uh, hey, how can I help you? It, it also speaks to understanding the whole person, not just a work person. And if the person's having a hard time with their attitude, maybe something's going on at home. Um, this one particularly uh, hit me hard, this whole choose your attitude uh, practice, because I, I work a lot these days on self-awareness, like what is my attitude right now? How am I showing up? I think that's the first thing we have to do is realize what is our attitude and how is it affecting people? And then I want to offer two ways to, I think, help with your attitude, and it's gratitude and generosity. When when you are thankful for things, when you show, when you feel gratitude, uh, you feel better. I, I actually say gratitude 
things before I put my two feet on the rug in the morning before getting out of bed. I always find one thing to be thankful for. And quite often it's this team. Um, I think uh, when I give generosity, whether it's a big tip to um, a barber in Florida who I knew was doing was having a tough go of it because she shared it and she was like shocked and she uh, gave me a hug. I chose my attitude that day and I felt really, really good. Mm -hmm. So just some thoughts on, on that one. Nice. Andrew. Yeah. So I, I think Colin, I, I think I'm on the same page with you here. I struggled with this a little bit too, in that the later on in the book, it makes the point that, fish doesn't have to start at the top, but the story, the people at the top in the story were driving fish. So what if you're the person at the bottom and your boss is telling you, well, choose your attitude, either accept the culture here, but it's a culture that you don't like. Yeah. Um, and you're, you can either give feedback or, or at the employee level, uh, one, uh, another thing I think was missing from the book is nobody left. In the story, no one left the organization. No one decided that this isn't for me. And I guess maybe it's it's personal for me because I've worked in previous jobs in the in the golf business, e extremely competitive environments. And I I left. I I chose my attitude, and I I guess in a in a manner of speaking, and I I said this isn't for me. This culture, I'm not going to change this culture, and it's it's not right for me so i i left the golf business you chose your attitude you chose, yeah, I, you chose yeah, to I, leave i think in a manner of speaking that yeah and so that that didn't get addressed in the book which i thought was a bummer but i i think that is a possibility that i'm the the aspect of individual choice and autonomy that i do have that choice i can go somewhere else i, I think that's that's a great point um, that wasn't that didn't, you're right, Andrew. And I know for both the choose your attitude and the make the workplace fun principles, I, I come back to, you know, to answer the question I posed, how do you, how do you make it stick and get it across to people? I do think it has to be more top down. Um, and kind of what Brian said, the servant leadership. So it's not like I'm demanding you change. We're all changing and I'm let, let me help you change. Right. I think that's only a way to, to really implement it. And then if people don't want to change in that direction, as you said, Andrew, they can they can self-select out. Well, and to emphasize Brian's point, um, you're looking like part of that servant le leadership is looking at the whole person, not just not just who they are in their role at work. Catherine, I think also you know in terms of how do we how do we get this across to people? I think sometimes business owners they they try something once. We're going to do, uh, you know, first Friday. Oh, it wasn't very well attended. That's clearly not going to work. Um, but just like anything, there's discipline to this. And there's, you know, there's the performance of being engaged. And there's the performance, right? I mean, that's, that's part of why they went to the fish market was for the performance of it. But in the performance then becomes the, the actual engagement piece. And so when we're talking with business owners, I'm thinking about like, you, you got to give this more than one shot. You got you to try this a lot because you're also 
needing to persuade a team maybe whose culture has been bad for a while that this is actually what you want to do. Yeah, we're going to make Pizza Fridays happen every single Friday. It's going to happen. Everybody start to look forward to it. Build the momentum, make the train go. And eventually then people will, you know, get to be excited by it. It's it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, the book is short, but the time period of the book is actually long. And I think that that's a really important consideration for us when we're talking about this with business owners. That, That I think is the biggest struggle for business owners is that we're business owners are often extremely utilitarian and extremely individualistic. They like working and they like achieving, and that lends itself to that fix-it mindset. Well, we did that. We did that once. We fixed it, and it's, so, it's a very different approach. So, Lynn, you had your hand up? I did. I just, as soon as I started to read it, it kind of hit me that, um, and you guys are all putting it in a business context, I just thought if you have a, a moody 16-year-old at home, I mean, this is life basics. I've been talking to my kids about this nonstop um, at critical points in their life. Like you have a choice of how to look at it. I mean, it goes almost as basic as half full, half empty, but, but you have a choice to frame, you know, um, how you react to people and, and, and choose how you want to be. And it's just kind of goes to the core of a, a really interpersonal skill as well. Awesome. Awesome point. Based on, and um, actually springing off of what Andrew just said about business owners being utilitarian, um, I wanted to move on to play because this is actually, surprise, surprise, something that I struggle with. Um, So uh, I don't think of myself as not being fun, but um, in the work setting, I find play other than, you know, buying donuts for people, uh, you know, is a difficult uh, concept to master in the work setting. So, um, I wanted to, uh, find out from you, Brian had that great question of how can we play more? Of course that comes from Brian. Um, so Brian, why don't you start off? (laughs) Yeah, this one, um, hit home Well, they all hit home, but, uh, sometimes I think, uh, work and business become so transactional and we're pushing, 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 but we're not, um, having enough fun in the process. When you're having fun, I think you're increasing engagement. And when you're increasing engagement, profitability and culture follow, and that's really good stuff. So I, I did this um, book peer, um, club for my peer group, the field generals, and it was so much fun as they all thought about how, how we play. So I want to put it out there to, to you guys. How can Nolan Consulting play more? And I wanted to offer one idea. This is a groundhog. As you guys all know, uh, I belong to the groundhog coaching team. And so those of you listening, uh, Brian is actually showing a um, stuffed animal on the screen. This is a hedgehog. <laughs> Um, so when you're going back, Carter, can you erase what I said? I saw it again. This is a hedgehog. <laughs> I'm part of the hedgehog coaching team. Hedgehogs are highly focused. They focus on what they're passionate on. Uh, they focus on what they can be the best at and where they know the economic model. I want to challenge the other coaching teams to a duel up at Whitney Lake on a retreat that I know Catherine is planning. 
And um, uh, so this, this whole idea of fun, I, I was at the uh, Brothers at Just You Gutters franchise conference last month. And in between sessions, day one, day two, they had what they called the gutter games. And it was really fun. It was outside and they had, it, it was competing everything from cornhole uh, to football tosses into a whole, two thing. It was just one thing after the other. There was a DJ in the background. I was like, these guys are having fun. I want to have more fun. Let's plan some fun. Yeah, I put that out there, guys. How do we plan some fun? So I have, I'm going to pose the other side of this. And what if you have um, maybe a person or two in your group that doesn't feel like work is a place for fun? Like that they may do their job really well. They may perform their job. Andrew. Well, I mean, Dee, I'm with you on this one. For, for me, the work is fun. I mean, uh, the, the spreadsheets and the digging into things and so that I remember my sister saying to me in high school, like, why are, why are you always so serious? Like, cause the work is, the work is fun for me like that. I am having fun. So in enjoyment, I think our value for, for me, what registers for me is the engagement piece. And am I engaged? Am I enjoying myself? Safety, notwithstanding, we all need to be safe, but nobody's going to die. If, if, you know, if, if the spreadsheet isn't perfect or so I think a lot of this for me is about context that we're helping customers. We're bringing value to people. We're doing the best we can, you know, we're, there are worse places to be. So enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that relates back that integrates with choose your attitude that when I put things in the proper context, I can have a bigger smile on my face. So, Sydney. You had. Yeah, I was just thinking back to Brian's question and to Andrew's point. Um, at my internship, we played uh, trivia or I forget what the, the name of it is, but it would be a Friday. They'd bring in pizza and and there would be different categories every Friday. And a lot of us really liked it, but there were some people that really, really liked their job more. So they just didn't participate. And that goes, I think, to the autonomy factor is giving them that choice. If you you know, want to stay in your spreadsheets and, and enjoy your work, that, that's fine. But some of us are going to play uh, trivia as well. And I think that provides the balance of, of some people that would need that in the workplace where others, you know, do enjoy more of the, the play. Catherine. I think that that's why, you know, the IDP process is important because you can actually get engaged with your team and understand what, what they do like and how they how they live the engagement process because engagement, I mean, that's remembering all the way back when we changed our value from enthusiasm to engagement because engaging somebody at their level and providing them with what they do believe is fun. Um, but I, I do also want to, you know, maybe make sure that we, we hit that point about what, what's the culture that we're wanting to achieve, right? What, what, how do we define our culture and, and how are we living the culture? Because that, that is an important consideration to have. What, what, is it, what does the culture look like? Can I, can I just differentiate play from fun yeah. real quick? Because Andrew, you, you have fun doing your work. That's awesome. That's why you're so good at it. Um, the play, I think, is interactive. And I think the play is how do we become a team and interact with each other on a level that's not always 
intense and serious. Nice. Molly, you had a point. And it's not, I don't think it's about literal play either though. It's about creating an environment that inspires a level of curiosity, creativity, that there's, there's joy. I mean, I, I, I guess I have a high aesthetic. I don't, didn't always think that I did, but like when I walk into a workspace, if there's not levels of creativity or, um, a place where I want to go each day and maybe have fun and do my work, I'm less inspired. I'm less desired to be there. And so, I mean, Catherine, you probably, um, jumped onto this when they talked about plants in a workspace, bringing living <laughs> things into a workspace brings life is so key. And so I said to Dee, I said, between probably Catherine and myself and some others, we'll make sure that there's life brought into an office. But I think that's important thinking about what makes people happy in a workspace, what's going to inspire them to want to play. I don't think you can force play on somebody. I think you could need to create levels of environments that, um, that, that speaks to each person and maybe inspires them in different ways to play. Yeah. yeah but, um, this book impacted me, you know, probably 10 or 10 years ago, plus maybe more than that, I, I guess. Um, but it's one of our values is, uh, is friendly and fun, work hard, play hard. So we, we incorporated in the values of the, our business. And, uh, so this was an impactful book way back. And, uh, and, and I always was so intense and driven to hit goals that I didn't enjoy. I, I was too serious about everything because I was just striving so hard and it, it, I ruined relationships. So this was something that I incorporated in our business. And, um, and it's, it's been impactful for our business. And, and recently we just had an experience where we value, we, we track our guys based on, uh, our, we don't track, but we do values alignment, how they fit. And a couple of people pushed back about, you know, I, I come to work because I have to. And, you know, they, they, they were, they, they don't come to work to enjoy work. And uh, so we really dug into it. You know, we just, this is really one of our values. And that's important to us that if you're only here because you have to, you're bringing the wrong attitude for our business and our culture. So this uh, just, just working through this part. So it was great that this book came up, we refreshed it and it's back in. Now our sales team is running through the book and all of our job leaders and uh, crew leaders are going to be reading through the book. But it, it's interesting. It's, it's, you have to be committed in your business. We had to have a total commitment to make, you know, to, I'm, and I had to re reframe it for myself. Cause I'm like, Andrew, I love to work. I could just work. Um, but I have to realize how do I impact the people around me? Great. Um, so I wanted to uh, move to the next principle, uh, which is make their day. Um, this is something that I think uh, we're all pretty comfortable with as a concept. And I think we all know how to do it well. Um, but my question was really, how can you do it or have someone do that consistently? And, um, and also, uh, Brian, again, had some great questions, which is, what are um, examples of when uh, you've made someone's day even better? Um, and I'm going to add one more to that. Uh, what have, how did someone else make your day? Because I think I find that easier to recognize. Um, so Andrew, you had your hand up. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't want not to contradict you, but I, I would peel that back a little bit. I, I'm not sure every employee understands how they make other people's days. And this is this is where, from, I mean, you guys know, I'm going to insert levels of work here somewhere. 
where each role provides value to other roles. So, so for example, I've, I've talked to, I've had bookkeepers on, on the um, calls with people and I'll say, how do we, how do we show appreciation for your work? Look at the reports I make. So if you understand, not just in a work way, so Steve, like, like you and I both, we like to, what's the work work, but also in the interpersonal, the human way. So Brian, to your point about play, there's a balance of task and humanity, but in the work way, how does each role make other roles as day? In other words, bring value. I don't know that, that that's super clear at every organization. And, and it's a great conversation to have. Steve? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the, the things that ha- to answer the, or to some feedback on the question you said was, how do you go about it? How, how do you cascade this down? And one of the things we, with it, we, that I actually really push and we push is by walking around and a lot of times making people's day is not talking about work, but it's about them, you know, and having a conversation about, you know, how's things going, make it just people that, that you work around. And, and when you ask them about themselves and what they're doing, it becomes about them and it makes, and I feel that's a good way to cascade down how to approach it. How do you make people's day? Talk about them. Listen. Nice. Um, Michael, you had a great point, um, which was how can we help people in the field um, make a customer's day? Mm. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the point I brought up, um, a few points on this one, I think the point you're referencing is, you know, kind of what Ritz Carlton does with their empowerment, where they give each of their team members a budget of up to $2,000 per guest to take care of any incident, any problems within any one of their properties. Um, You know, that budget might be a lot. Um, You know, obviously, we all have to customize that. But I think empowering our team members to you know, take care of problems in the moment and to make customers day to make somebody happy. Um, I think not only goes a long way towards that customer satisfaction, but I think it even maybe goes further in terms of the employee satisfaction. Um, The other quick point I wanted to make on this one is one thing that we do, I think pretty well here is we try to like celebrate everything that we can, Um, whether it's somebody's work anniversary, whether it's their birthday, Um, you know, we just had a team member get engaged. We have our, um, meeting the third Thursday of every month where we get all of our people together. Um, and we started last year where I actually have my mom come in and she makes it really fun. You know, my mom, I think like a lot of people's moms is really good at making people feel special. Um, and that's not necessarily like my gift, you know, to Andrew's point, right? Utilitarian, let's get stuff done. You know, we cooked up some cheeseburgers. What more could you want? Um, but my mom, you know, does it up, right? Balloons and gifts and, you know, all the decorations and, you know, big meal. And I think it's like things like that, that when we ask our team members, like, what do they appreciate? It's, they're probably going to talk about that before they're going to talk about our health insurance um, or things like that, because it makes them feel special. Um, and it doesn't really cost that much. And I don't know. So to me, like, that's kind of some of the things that come to mind when I was reading through this section. Brian? I just to put a... Um a period on what um, Andrew and Stephen and Michael said. Michael, first, I, I think in the field, I think this concept of plus one, you know, how can our field, uh, how can we talk about this with our field leaders about and our, and our workers about 
What is a plus one to a customer? Helping with groceries, bringing in papers, raining out, just, you know, thinking about the human side of things. Um, you, know, you know, Andrew, this, this thing about um, understanding what does make someone day, I think it speaks to meet people where they're at. And there's this, this, this concept we've talked about called the platinum rule, where um, not the golden rule, it's a platinum rule, treat people the way they want to be treated, which means we really need to seek to understand before being understood. Um, the last comment that I want to make on this, make someone's day, is when's the last time you've helped, you've, you've seen a perf perfect stranger in need, which, whatever the case may be. And when you make a perf perfect stranger's day, that's when humanity is great. I, I had a situation where this uh, young man was holding two babies recently and the car, a car pulled in next to his and swiped his car, hit his car, and the babies are yelling and crying, and the guy starts to back up, and he screamed to me, and I went, and I actually stopped the car, pretended I was a cop, and pulled the guy back in again. And then I called the cops. Um, he was having a rough day, but I think I made his day because I went in. The guy had been drinking. It, it was a bad situation, but I made his day, and it felt really good. Nice. Wow. Pretty powerful story. It was a powerful story. <laughs> yeah. Very powerful story. And um, that brings me to the final fourth principle, which is be present, which it sounds like, Brian, you were pretty present at that moment, seeing what was going on. Um, so uh, in that moment, you didn't struggle. Um, but I find that we all struggle with being present, whether it's because of technology in our life or um, just the uh, distractions that are going on around us, um, the multitasking that happens. So um, how can we uh, be more present or even help each other be more present? Who's got some thoughts on that? Molly. I think we just have to stick into this like awareness factor of being aware of what's happening around us and not act like we have tunnel vision in our, in our day to day, whether it's walking across the street, like you said, with technology in our hand, you know, looking down at our phone, it's just kind of looking up and recognizing people around us and looking at situations, having emotional intelligence about situations that are, that are happening. And do you get involved? I mean, Brian's situation that was pretty, you know, intense. I had a little interaction on this weekend at the grocery store. There were no carts around and I was searching for a cart everywhere and I found one. It didn't, it didn't work. It was stuck. And I was probably looking a little hopeless and this lovely little old woman in a handicap motor scooter pulled me aside and said, honey, honey, are you looking for a cart? My husband's finishing up. Why don't you wait here with me and he'll give it to you. And I was just, she's like, I saw you struggling with that other one. And I was like, she was so keenly aware of her surroundings, just watching people that she saw a situation where she could help. And it made my day. Cause I was like, thank you so much. Cause I was going to have to go out into the parking lot, but it's like those little moments in life where she was present so she could make someone's day. They all interact in, in, in these four principles interact together. And so it's how can you be present, notice situations, see how you can uh, get involved and make someone's day or just do something little to, to 
I don't know, make the world a better place. And like in in the you know weirdest way, it's these little actions make life better. Awesome. Anyone else? Andrew. The, the wisdom of our elders, right? They, presumably she wasn't working anymore. <laughs> so I, I think for me, if, for th- this one, this one most convicted me because I, I think I'm horrible at it. And so my, my comment about not working, like I always have work on my mind. And so I'm, I'm always trading out the players in my head, the person in front of me, something I forgot to do, the person in front of me, something I need to do. And so a, a practical for me is, is our little blue books and writing down as much as I can so that I can focus on the person, write down all my tasks, get it out of my head. Otherwise, I won't focus on the person in, who's in front of me that I most care about. And I, it's people that I, I care about most. My behaviors don't always match that. And to, I, I just, I've, I'm trying to get better and better at writing all of my tasks down so I don't have to remember them. Nice. Uh, Michael, did you? Yeah, I think, you know, it comes to mind is that effective versus efficient idea. You know, specifically for me, I, like many of us, I live by my calendar and often it's like full from one event to the next. And really when I was reading this, it it made me realize I need to add just some margin into my calendar for those little interactions, right? So uh, when I have an important meeting and it would be really great to spend another 10 minutes with that person, I feel comfortable doing it and I'm not like stressing out because, Oh, I'm going to be late for the next one. Um, I think for me, that was just my big takeaway here is just add in some blank space to, you know, be more effective. Awesome. Brian. I think this one really gets really speaks to um, silence the internal dialogue that's in, in our heads. We have to silence the internal conversations when we're having conversations with other people and we have to be very intentional about that. It's hard. I feel like I do it well on coaching calls, but I'm, I'm not always present in other situations. Just yesterday, Catherine asked a question and I was thinking about what I was going to say next. And I said, I'm sorry, Catherine, I blew it. I wasn't paying attention. Would you mind saying that again? And that was, that was an awareness moment that instinctually we don't do this because of the internal dialogue. So we have to be very intentional and aware of it. Sydney. Yeah, this is one part of the book that really hit home for me. I know Brian and I have talked about this, but I'm a thinker. So when things are going on, I'm always thinking about all of the affected parts or other things like Andrew said that I need to do, things that I forgot to do. So it is harder for me to um, sometimes stay present. But to that effect, something that I've learned is that things don't need attention immediately a lot of the times when I think that they do. So for me to have unread emails in my inbox actually gives me anxiety. Like I don't like it. So I'm always like, oh, a new email popped up. What do I need to do, right? Um, Or a text came through or or a Slack came through or something like that. Um, And it's, you know, in my mind thinking that, okay, let me prioritize. Most of the time it can wait until after I'm done on this call or after I have free time in my calendar to address it. Um, But that's been a mindset change for me. Um, to help me better be present. Nice. So um, thinking about all of these principles together, um, I came up and actually uh, Maureen, both Maureen and Tom had kind of mentioned this uh, question or statement um, 
in their takeaways. And I'm, I'm really curious about this. Um, overall, how do you, how do you actually lead people to the fish philosophy? Like, how do you, we don't have a fish market, you know, we're not in Seattle. Colin's never going to move to Seattle. And so where, how do you, how do you find this? How do we help business owners find this for themselves, for their companies and, and show examples? Because really it's a matter of letting people get to the principles, not put them on them. Thoughts? I'll jump in because I, I, I think this is, this is a moment of self-reflection and for business owners to really think about what it is that they are about and what their business is about, because I don't think you can artificially construct something that if it's not genuine and if it's not who you are um, and you gotta, you gotta think about that and you gotta really focus on it. And, and from there come those principles of what, what is play and, you know, being present is, is pretty universal, but fun and play have different meanings for different people. So I think you really do need to be a little introspective and identify that if you're not a runner, then going out and sponsoring 5k runs probably isn't going to work for you. It's probably not going to work for your business because you're not genuinely interested in it, but what are you genuinely interested in? And when you, when you can identify what that is, like focusing on your primary aim. You can focus on that. You can actually then come up with each of these principles and make them come alive in your business. Um, so I, I would start with the personal. Andrew. Uh, it makes me think, Catherine, your comment there makes me think of a summit member I was working with many years ago, um, struggling with these types of things, engagement and being able to adapt and moving up in the organization. And so Brian, something you said registered with her, this was several years ago, but um, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. So walking the ball back even further that you can in fact, choose your attitude that life isn't determined there are changes you can make. And I think for some people, I'm th thinking back to several conversations, but people are objecting, but what they're really objecting to is the core principle that it doesn't have to be this way. You can choose, you can change the way you think. Is that even possible? Getting buy-in on, on just that principle first um, goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, I... Um how to make this happen is something I think about, you know, leaders own culture and the people are watching the leaders and what the leaders value, the people will follow. And so um, the leaders have to be very, I use that word intentional again about how do we factor in uh, play, making someone's day, being present, choosing our attitude into what we do. Ideas, you want to come from bottom up, right? You want to get input from people, but let's not forget that, that the leaders own the culture and people are watching what culture is valued. Yeah, Tom had made a great point um, where uh, he mentioned that managers implement strategy, can implement strategies to increase morale and that's key, um, but the employees need to be able to make their own decisions within that. So, you know, thinking about it that way, uh, one of the 
quotes that impacted me uh, from this book was culture change begins where it needs to begin and leaders support it by how they show up in response. So Sydney, you had a. Yeah, I think to just what you said and what was Brian, what Brian was saying that it's so crucial that employees feel like they can go to the leadership with suggestions and, and ways to make, um, you know, morale better. Uh, I mean, for me, I've only been in support roles. I haven't been in any leadership roles yet, but I know that I can go to Brian or Andrew or Catherine or Colin and, and make a suggestion and that my suggestion will be heard. And I think that's really important um, in a company if, if you're trying to implement FISH is that um, there is that ground structure for the implementation to happen. Thanks, Brian. Did you? No, no, well said. Thanks, Ed. Well, on that note, um, I wanted to thank everyone for um, for participating in this discussion. It was uh, great. I see Hedgehog. Um, <laughs> so uh, thanks for the insights into what are seemingly simple practices and yet um, can be complicated in implementation. So uh, everybody should take a look at Fish by London and um, see what you take out of it. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Dee. Great job. Thanks, Dee. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.